Welcome to Feminist Question Time, brought to you by Women's Declaration International, the leading global organization defending women's sex-based rights against the threats posed by gender identity ideology. There is more information on our website, womensdeclaration.com, where you'll find our Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights, which has been signed by 33,261 people from 160 countries and is supported by 463 organisations. We have over 100 volunteer activists, including 53 country contacts engaged in defending women's rights. Please join us and volunteer and we can get the message out even more effectively. I'm really pleased to say we have Yal Bano from Afghanistan. She's talking about the women's situation after the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. We're then going to watch a short video uh, about Shamsia Hassani, also from Afghanistan, Kabul, Kabul's female graffiti master. Then we are going to hear from Valerie Tender from Canada. She's going to talk, her title of her talk is Gender Ideology, Queer Theory and Transgression, the Mainstreaming of Kink. Then we're going to hear from Anne in Australia on activism, the top ways to challenge the gender identity industry. And then uh, the last uh, part we have will be um, me, Zan Dalio and Kerry Bruce and April Morrow. And we're going to have a talk about the uh, Standing for Women Speakers Corner USA events. We're going to now uh, watch the video that was prepared with uh, Yal Bano from Afghanistan's words, and we've got some images put over by brilliantly by Zan, who prepared the video. Hello and good afternoon, all. I am Yal Bano. It is always a pleasure to be here, and I want to thank you, Yafruti Yal Feminist Question Time for inviting me to release a report today, which is entitled Woman Right in Afghanistan, one year after the Taliban take over. It has been just over 410 days since the Taliban took control of Afghanistan, and the Taliban disseminated the right of women and girls to education, work, and free movement. Afghanistan is not the only country in the world where women rights are being ruled back, but what is happening in Afghanistan is an alarm bell for all of us because it shows how decades of progress on gender equality and women's rights can be literally wiped out in a month. As you watch, you read the news about women's rights in Afghanistan, unfortunately, all is correct news, and that is a very sad picture of Afghan women for the world. Today, Afghanistan is at a critical juncture. If the situation is very horrible, then the news report, but under the Taliban control, you have no right to complain. In today's report, I would like to share the all facts which are happening and women are faced with that every day. In general, there is nothing normal. And very horrible news is, if we consider women right in two categories, first, essential right, and second, sub-essential right. Unfortunately, Afghanistan is the only country among the world which women don't have access to their essential right, such as education, work, or free movement. And they got sub-essential right. I see this part of women's rights as a closed chapter, which contains thousands of problems of Afghan women. But because of restriction on women from different sides, women can tell or share it to one another. 
and on other side, there's no ear to hear human problems. I, as a lady of Afghanistan, I have exactly the same pain which all women in here have. And I fully understand how this is hard. If because of restriction on our gender, we can study or work or have freedom. I have bachelor degree, but because of restriction, I am jobless. So I am full-time home. Women and Freedom of Movement On 7 May 2022, the de facto authorities issued a directive requiring all women to fully cover their bodies from head to toes except the eyes when outside the house and do not leave the houses except in some case of necessity. Violations of this decree lead to punishment of male relatives, essentially making male relatives responsible for enforcing the hijab decree. This directive reinforces the dominance and control of men over the women's lives. Earlier decree related to freedom of movement escalating in severity and clothing requiring madam, male relative chaperone, to travel with women for any trip further than 45 miles from home. Women living with disabilities and female-headed households are the most impacted by the mobility restriction. In practice, restriction on human freedom of movement often go beyond what is prescribed and decreased. Women reports that families, communities, and employers limiting movement of women and girls. This demonstrates how fear of consequences for transgression can be enough to separate women from men. The Taliban have enforced increasingly strict guidelines on permissible clothing for women and girls. Zainab, a 27 years old woman, shared her reaction to the decree. Why would we cover our faces? Islam law is best for all, and I as a Muslim apply all the law of Islam with my heart and my everyday of life. So I have worn a head scarf all my life, but I don't want to cover my face. I can't breathe now, but I am trying to talk about covering my face. Under the Taliban control, the rule of law has no meaning. It isn't even clear what is the Islamic law is. Women and participation in public and political. Unfortunately, life, studies, and education all at the same time have lost their color. All representatives of the de facto authorities are men. Women have been removed from public services position except when they cannot be felt by men in education, health services, and certain elements of policing. In some cases, women being asked to send male relatives to replace them. The Ministry for Women Affairs, including at its provincial offices and the Afghanistan Independent Human Rights Commissioning, were abolished in September 2021 and May 2022, respectively deactivating the country gender equality and women rights missionary. The Taliban reinstated the de facto ministry for propagation of virtue and prevention of rights. MPVPP. The de facto MPVPP has taken over the former Ministry of Women Affairs building in Kabul and the Department of Women Affairs across the country sending a powerful signal. There's no room for women or identities tasked with taking gender equality for what? Women civil society. We raise our rights. Therefore, women rights have not been silenced. 
Women's civil society has been significantly impacted since the Taliban takeover. Many women rights and women-led civil society organizations have been closed in the past year. Most high-profile women rights leaders from all walks of life fled the country following the fall of Kabul. Reports indicate that 77% of women's civil society organizations are no longer running any project in 2022. Women-led organizations that continue to operate face intimidation and stresses, and also they are faced with significant cash and banking issues. The systemic discrimination imposed by the Taliban has led a wave of peaceful protests by women and girls across Afghanistan. The Taliban has violated the rights to these women and girls to freedom of expression, association, and assembly, and subjected them to harassment and abuse during protests, including beating and electric shock by tasers. On Tuesday, May 2020, Taliban Ministry Amin Khan Mutaki said, in the past nine months, not a single woman has been imprisoned and the jail of Afghanistan, either due to political opposition or rising voice against the government. This is not true. This an interview with 12 women who were involved in the protest after the Taliban takeover, five of whom were detained. Amnesty International has found that many women and protesters in Afghanistan have been subjected to arbitrary arrested and detention, enforced disappearance and torture and other ill treatment. Women leaders have expressed frustration at the international community reluctance to make women rights a request for engagement with the de facto authorities. Women leaders have also raised concern with all male delegations from the international community met the Taliban inside and outside their country. Afghan women have not accepted the status quo and are finding ways to hold the Taliban to account on women's rights. Women and education. Education for all is not only a basic human right. It is the key to progress and development of a nation. In the age of education, the Taliban have prevented the vast majority of girls at the secondary level from returning to school. The Taliban government had said that the school closure are only temporary, while a new rollout plan in line with Islamic law and Afghan culture is decided. The school briefly opened again in March 2022, but it was short-lived, as they shut their doors once more just four hours later. And it is over one year since the school doors are closed for 1.1 million of girls over age 12 at the secondary level of school. Young girls just wanted to have future, and now they don't see any future ahead of them. There are millions of Afghan girls waiting for action. At the university level, the Taliban harassment of female students as well as restriction on student behavior, crisis, and opportunity have contributed to unsafe environment where female students are systematically disadvantaged compared to male students. As a result, many female students have either stopped attending or decided not to enroll in university. Either challenges affected girls and women access to education at all levels, including restriction on their movement, teacher shortage, and student lack of motivation under the Taliban control. In addition, before against 2021, Women and girls, survivor of gender-based violence, has access to a nationwide network of shelters and services.
including legal representation, medical care, court and psychological support. And it serves thousands of women and girls each year. As the Taliban took control of Afghanistan, the system collapsed. In same case, Taliban members harassed or threatened staff. As shelter closed, the staff was forced to send many women and girls survivors back to their families. Other survivors were forced to live with sheltered staff members on the street or in other unsuitable situations such as child early and forced marriage. Afghan women highly need the health services, humanitarian assistance and justice now. As the Taliban have prevented women across Afghanistan from working, education and freedom and told them to stay at home, but Yalbanu, a 27-year-old girl currently living inside Afghanistan is not silent. She doesn't give up like thousand others to work and raise her wife for Afghan women even in a very horrible situation. Yalbanu was very talented during school and university and she was as a social worker Beside of her other responsibility to work for children, women, and disabled men and the society before the Taliban take over. But after August 2021 and restriction on women by the Taliban, she started a work by the name of Together We Can Make a Change. With the help of some of her friends from inside home to work and help girls, women, and children. When the elementary plan was completed based on survey of girls and women, Danielle Bonner shared the plan with her colleagues and some of her friends to see if they are willing to help and to support Afghan women, girls, and children during this horrible situation. Yalbonu, with 10 other women which all have bachelor's degree, has started to help the students as their instructor to teach them different subjects via internet and Google Class. So currently, 100 female students over age 12 from 7 up to 12 Grade of school are easy to learn via online program. And also for 50 women of 50 families with are in a very critical economic situation and another side they can work outside home. Yalbonu and her friends collect financial assistance money from her friends and families every month. Then Yalbonu transfer the assistance money to them, especially in winter season. On behalf of Afghan women. We never forget you as you help us in this critical time. A special thanks to all supporters. One student needs $7 in a month for internet. So for 100 students plus 10 instructors, we need $720 per month. And more time we face with problems because the students can access active internet. If there is no internet, then we can continue our studies and program. Currently, 100 new students and 50 new women are still awaiting for supporters. If the supporter helped them during six months for purpose of learning and humanitarian assistance, one of our delegates collects all the help money of students from all supporters. Then, Aziel Bonu gets the financial assistance contribution for his students via Western Union or many grants. Then she sent it students for internet activation as electronic money. And they got financial assistance for women. We usually connect women with the supporters to receive directly the help money from supporters. And to assure supporters 
that there is no corruption in our world, and no one even can use one dollar of them. And we just provide corrective force for both sides, the women and supporters. Yalbono said, what we work for girls and women is all or just a friendly and humanitarian work. We don't want to become famous. We don't want to get profit. We just want to help each other and together make a positive change. Our work is totally private, hiding, and friendly inside the home. And we all are connecting via WhatsApp, Gmail, and Google Glass to each other. So it is a very safe way for we all to continue our program. Our help to women and girls are for a short time. And in long-term plan, we have planned to work and create job opportunities for women and disabled men under the name of how to increase education and decrease poverty in Afghanistan. At the end, as we all know the Afghanistan woman problem very well, so there is no need for more slogan or explanation of the problem. There is exactly need for action. The world doesn't hear or see what is happening to us because they are not affected themselves. Only if this happened to them would we understand. The international community must demonstrate to Afghan women and girls that it understands their plight. International organization must send a clear, coordinated, and resounding message to the Taliban that their current policies on women and girls will never be accepted. If the international community fails to act, it will abandon billions of women and girls across Afghanistan and emboldens others to undermine the human rights of women and girls around the world. The Taliban, as the de facto authorities of Afghanistan, must uphold the right of women and girls to access education, work, and free movement. And the Taliban must also immediately cease practices of arbitrary arrest and detention and protect the right of all people, including women and girls, to protest peacefully. Thank you for your attention. Art is important in some country like Afghanistan because people need it. People get tired from words. Art is a kind of friendly way to fight with every kind of problem. Hassani, and I'm the female graffiti artist from Afghanistan. Also, I'm lecturer at Kabul University Faculty of Fine Arts. At the beginning, uh, I have started with working uh, on contemporary art and realistic style. And slowly, slowly, uh, I wanted to make some bigger works. December of 2010, a graffiti workshop organized by Cambodge Communication in Kabul. They brought a teacher from the UK by name of Chu. 
after I started working on that workshop, that was very interesting for me and I thought that would be much better if I can put my work in a street, like to use a wall as a canvas and using a spray paint. I can share my works with people, I can introduce art to people, because most of people are not able to go to museums and galleries. Some people thinking that art is not allowed in Islam and then they feel that they should stop me. And some of them are coming to use bad words to me. If a lot of close minds come together, they will be very powerful and they will do anything. Normally, uh, when I start working, I will see what will happen to me. Like, I will see the people around. I'm trying to finish it very soon or just to leave it. Usually, if I want to paint over a very big building, I will never do that because I need a lot of time. That's why I have created a new series, I call it Dreaming Graffiti. I'm taking pictures from every place that I like, any kind of building, and then I'm printing it out, and after that, uh, I'm painting over the pictures. This is one of my work from my Dreaming Graffiti series. Here I wrote Kabul in Dari, and this is in English, and this is the woman with her guitar. There are a lot of elements that I could put easily in it. I chose doing graffiti because I can share my ideas with people and I can bring women to society again. At the beginning, I have started women with the burqa and the burqa was a symbol of a woman, but I have changed the shape with sharp shoulder and a stronger shape. I wanted to introduce a new woman to society. This character that I use in my work, this woman is doing education sometimes. This woman is alone in my work. This woman is facing with a lot of problems in my work, but she still is strong. People will say that she is a woman and I'm a woman. So if she can do something, I can do something as well. People thought I'm doing the burqa to say I do not like the burqa. And I said, no, the problem is not with the burqa. I think freedom is not to take off the burqa, it's to have peace. I mean, if you take off the burqa, but still you have a lot of problems, like you cannot do education, you have no equality, you cannot have decision. If she take off the burqa, nothing will change. My new series called um, Birds of No Nation, uh, because recently I see a lot of people uh, like Afghani people or Iraq people are trying to go to some other country like to Europe or to the US to have a better life and they thinking that there is a dreamland but they will see when they get there that it's not a dreamland. Everybody knows that the birds always are traveling and they have no specific nation so I feel that we Afghan people they are feeling that they have no nation and they have no country because they are not feeling good in their own country. A lot of educated people are leaving Afghanistan and I'm, I'm feeling very bad because those educated people could do something for this country and they left. So I don't want to leave, that's why. I can introduce a new Afghanistan to people 
with seminars, with exhibitions, with my artworks, everybody has a very bad image of Afghanistan in their mind. So maybe I can change it a little bit. Maybe I can make it famous with art, not by war. Okay, we're now going to hear from Valerie Tender. She's from Canada, and um, uh, the title of her talk is Gender Ideology, Queer Theory and Transgression, the Mainstreaming of Kink. Um, and uh, Valerie uh, spoke brilliantly on the, well, before on Feminist Question Time and also on the French, the Francophone Feminist Question Time a few weeks ago. So you might have seen that, but she's going to add to the, the points she's making. And uh, thank you so much, Valerie. And over to you. My talk will is is very broad, and you'll see that I'm trying to make um, a connection with the fact that many bad ideas tend to come together. And so um, I've been living in the gay village in Montreal for about 25 years, and we are seeing a mainstreaming of kink and fetish culture. And all of this, I feel, reflects really poorly on what the gay community is supposed to be. Um, so indeed, I did uh, I, I did a much longer talk. Uh, today, I'm doing only 25 minutes without my meter going. <laughs> and um, I so I got about an hour and a half at the francophone um, WDI. Um, tip I want to give you guys is girls, gals, <laughs> women, is that when you're watching the video on playback on YouTube, I'm someone who tends to speak really fast because I have so much content. I have over 60 slides to show you. Um, so there is a little uh, wheel symbol at the bottom of the video where you can adjust the playback speed. So especially when you're uh, not a native English speaker, just to put the speed at 90% really helps uh, comprehension and slow it down. All right. So gender ideology, um, sorry, I got this. Oh, so um, <clears throat> I would uh, really recommend that you find this article called From Foucault to San Francisco, The Enduring Root of Queer Theory, which really uh, connects the dots between how really bad ideas like to be pro-sex work or to be um, something that falls between the, the lines of pedo-criminality, the grooming of children, is always intertwined, intertwined with this queer culture thing. All right, so let's talk about our premises. Our premises is that we are women, and as women, we are adult, human, female. And because of that premise, our uh, analysis is sex-based, just like our oppression. So we understand our oppression and our worldview as being us as a sex class under patriarchy. And if we change uh, this view as sex-based for one that is gender, again, whatever that means, based, then we lose our ability to properly view the world as it is. Um, another premise that I want to share is I can't wait for you guys to have this wonderful book translated to English. It is called The Cost of Virility by a wonderful French author. She did the case for France, but basically I'm looking forward for anyone to do the similar uh, case for any other country. Basically, she calculated what masculinity and virility cost to society, and she had these very uh, 
amazing stats that I'm just going to glance over. So basically, rapes are 99% committed by males. Uh, conjugal violence, uh, sexual violence, the rates are alarming. I'm sorry, I couldn't translate the slide. But basically, if you look at all the different violences, they are committed by males, mainly against women and children. So if we start from that premise, I don't see why we would find among trans-identified males different statistics. In fact, we often find worse. And the violence, let's remind ourselves what the male sexualized violence that comes from the trans activists looks like. Basically, they want to put a baseball bat to our skull. So we are indeed uh, in the right to want to protect our sex-specific spaces and rights. Then <clears throat> this recent um, data I found is that among the trans-identified males in prison, the rate of sexual offenses is even higher than among the general male population. This is alarming. We're talking nearly 50% of trans-identified males in prison are there for sex crimes, compared to about 11% in the general male population. So again, we're not crazy. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about gender. Let's unpack what gender is. I find this picture to illustrate better what gender is of all the pictures I've ever seen. Let's go for something milder that you might be able to identify with. This is what gender is in a nutshell. Notice how the posture of women, women know how to pose. They know how to make their bodies small and pleasing and to value the curves. And the way that women will systematically position their body when there's a camera versus the male who's completely comfortable, whose feet are grounded, no worry, no care. This is what gender is. And gender takes up a lot of room in our mind because we've, we're constantly policing our bodies. And I, I would even advance that it's very dissociative because we're constantly, uh, as if we're in a, a third party outside of ourselves, looking at ourselves and we're, we're being made aware at all time what we look like 360 degrees. And you see it because if people used to think it was really unflattering to like be taking a selfie, now you see people stop in the street and take a selfie or constantly look at themselves in the reflection of, of um, storefronts. So <clears throat> gender does that. So this picture I find is embodies what gender is because basically when you want to ask yourself if this is gender, if a male was doing exactly the same as the female is doing, he would look stupid. He would look ridiculous. If he was showing that much skin, if he was perched up on high heels, um, at the fact that she has to police her body constantly to replace the clothes, she has double-sided tape. Anyway, look at this. The male is covered from wrist to neck. This is how you look as a powerful male. You only show your hands and your face. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't even show your feet. You'd never see a man on a red carpet in a sandal even. Or when they do, they're highly praised because they're being so cool and transgressive. So this is what gender is. And gender is especially visible in the feet. And I believe that this is the first step of decolonizing ourselves is to realize that our feet are not meant to be tiny and small. And we should not be perched up like a gazelle who, can't, who cannot run. So feet are everything. Male are grounded in life. They walk through life with a level of comfort in their body that women are not afforded if they abide to this pornified culture. Now, let's keep going. This is also gender. And when a man is doing all these things called that are supposed to be uh, 
I don't know the word in, in English, galanterie, like to like open the door for you. All of these are not really flattering. They are indeed markers of your femininity. They keep you in your place. They, they are a big sign showing like this is your place. I'm doing all this uh, accommodation because you're so uncomfortable within your body because of all the things you add or subtract to yourself. Gender is also finding very specific names to describe self-hate of our bodies. Like the most recent one I found, FUPA, which refers to fat upper pussy area, because clearly we need super specific names to hate ourselves. Gender is also uh, constantly uh, crosses the line with pedocriminality. I never use pedophilia because it's not a philia, it's a crime. So try in English, in French we do it a lot, try in English to use pedocriminality when referring to those codes and behaviors. So you see those big lips, what are they showing? What are they saying? They're saying, oh, I'm, I'm available for your cock and they're showing the big sucking lips of a baby. So there's something infantilizing in this trend of having huge blown up lips. And the last picture with the sport team, this is what gender is. If a man was wearing a bathing suit like this for his sport, he would look absolutely stupid. But we impose this on women, which means that on top of being her best self as an athlete, she also needs to be super self-aware of her body and discomfort and replacing her bathing suit. And this is insane. This is what gender is. Now, what does gender do to our girls? We know what gender does. It makes that so many women are trying in a very maladroit, like in a <clears throat> kind of naive way to try to escape gender. And this is what the trend of rapid onset gender dysphoria among our girl is. It's an, a, an attempt to escape the codes and the enforced injunction of femininity. And we have gender ideology coming on top of that saying to girl, hey, why don't you become a boy? This is insane. So gender is the cause of this. It's not the solution. So where am I coming from? I'm going to take a quick segment to tell you why I feel legitimate to be criticizing this stuff. So I was in the sex industry myself for about six years, from the ages of 16 to 23 years old, which included being very close to the whole fetish scene, uh, strip clubs. I wasted six years of my life in strip clubs and on top of that I had my father who was my driver so there was nothing around me to give me different uh, models and everything promoted me staying in in this in these codes even though my body was in pain the heels were killing me I was having sciatic nerve pain for the last two years of stripping so at 17 years old my first apartment happened to be on upstairs on top of the fetish cafe which was montreal's first fetish club back in 1998. so um this time i part i i took part in a gay pride parade it was in 1998 i was the emerald green pony girl as you can see the codes <laughs> so already back uh some 25 years ago if you look at the page, the newspaper page uh, covering this um, event, you can already see the, the the mix of kink and fetish and, and nudity and voyeurism is already part of what gay culture is supposed to be. Now, these are uh, early picture. I'm about 18 or 19 tops. I might be 17 on the middle one where I'm wearing a white corset. This is the life I've had. These are the codes I was having. So I was some sort of mini local celebrity in the fetish scene. I would get paid to uh, appear at events, partake in shows, uh, fashion shows, model corsets, and so on. And as you can tell, because I'm very blonde and, and light-skinned and naive and vulnerable, this is the role I took on within that scene. 
uh, the little cute candy. I was always more um, mainstream looking than the average within the fetish scene, and that was my niche. Uh, as my um, as my experience evolved within that scene, I started to kind of decolonize myself, and I became more like I was doing uh, pole dancing, acrobatic pole dancing. Then I was doing uh, burlesque singing. I was also a character that would just appear in event to kind of um, you know, make the crowd dance and be happy. And so eventually uh, to decolonize yourself from all of this, I'm trying to squeeze in a 20 year process in a few minutes here, but basically it's a long and tedious process. And for me, the heels was a big one to understand what high heels are, what they mean, what they signal, to hear rapists tell you that they enjoy the sound of the heels on the floor when they're stalking women at night. All of this started to make sense. And as you can see, I started to decolonize myself. I radical feminist. As an activist, I really took position, strong position against uh, prostitution, but also many other topics like fighting against poverty. And I've been a, a counselor for helping women uh, leave the sex trade for many years. At the moment, I'm not because I'm kind of unhirable. And so uh, now I have a completely normal job, not related whatsoever to intervention work, which is terrible because I'm a great counselor and I'm very trauma informed. And as a survivor, I have a way to connect with women. And so it's a shame that because the majority of the approach is harm reduction, uh, you're never going to be telling women that you want better for them. You're always going to be just like maintaining them, giving them condoms and making sure they have STD testing available. But basically, if you don't have the premise, that you want better for them, that they, they, they could do something else with their lives or get an education. No one offers to women the opportunity to, um, to leave it, then we're not gonna know. So uh, we're not gonna know what she could be, just like it took me so many years to find out I could be something else. So the queerization of the Montreal Gay Village, I don't have time to stop. So when you're watching this on replay on YouTube, hopefully you can read all the words I'm connecting. The problem is that these things are not what gay culture is. These things are what kink and queer culture is. And this amalgam between gay and queer culture is very harmful to gay people. Now, this is what you can basically see when you're in the Montreal Gay Village. You walk on St. Catherine Street and you're seeing this ad that is literally porn. And this is visible by children from the sidewalk on St. Catherine Street. Uh, PrEP is a cocktail of drug that men can take to not catch HIV. So now we're back to uh, pre-HIV uh, condom-free sex where we see uh, a, a rise of diseases like syphilis who had disappeared that are now back. Um, now, there is a community agency called Rezo who does most of the reduction uh, help for men. And basically they have no problem removing the L. They are a GBTQ association. They have no problem removing the L. But when we try to have sex specific services, we are not allowed to remove male bodied person. Now, this is an exposition that was on St. Catherine Street. And uh, basically it's, it's porn and it's uh, disembodied stuff. And so this was approved by the, uh, it's called the SDC du village. It's kind of like the, the business association of the village. And these are the kind of pictures. When I posted this picture on Facebook to denounce it, I was flagged for sharing pornography and my account was blocked for three days. Whereas this is fully visible outside near St. Catherine Street in a park for children to see. This is what their exposition is. This is art. This is what gay queer culture is to them. Uh, parts, uh, kink stuff. You think that was bad? Wait until you see the previous year's exposition. This was allowed to be in public. 
So this is a man's penis tied with a rope and a rock. Wait, I'm not done. Body parts, again, you never see full embodied people. You see body parts and hints of something kinky. What is that? What is that? What's the message sent by that? Okay, wait. Body parts again. Everything is disembodied. And this, this is a male-bodied person in a dress with a, a chicken between his legs. This is literally a reference to zoophilia. Again, this is outside on the street for children to see. This is part of the art exhibit. Again, outside, in public, for children to see. Why are we not protecting children from the, the sexuality of adults? So everything that's pro-kink and sexualization tends to kind of leak onto everything. Let's look at what queer culture is doing. This is the equivalent of Planned Parenthood and Friends. This was their event show. Again, this is queer culture. This has nothing to do with Planned Parenthood. Uh, so this is in Quebec. There was a, a drag person doing a sermon in a church in drag. Uh, they had an extensive segment during uh, award shows. And now we just found out that one of the most known drags in Quebec is going to be the uh, the good fairy in the Christmas parade. Again, why do they want to reach children so much? This is an ad for finding uh, someone to uh, in a contemporary dance agency the in a bathtub wearing stripper heels. What's the relation with contemporary dance? Um, now, this is. Uh, some talent show where everything is pornified, pole dancing. Basically, every left is now mainstream. This is you, you'll be reading your newsfeed, and then you'll you'll have this novel being promoted to you with aggressive sex. Again, same thing. Uh, se sexual violence in a novel that's being sold to you. Uh, this is what the, the Fifty Shades of Grey did. We have all these novels about being a brutal vows or a tarnished tyrant and the eroticization of power dynamic. Now, let's remind ourselves who the trans activists are. They are male. They are violent. They take the lead. They're always out front. We have this case in, uh, in Ontario of a teacher who is imposing this onto children and the school is totally defending him. So we have these giant prosthetic breasts and this, this person teaches teenager in high school. Now this case, you may not know this, but within the king culture, in the, the, the queer culture, there is this thing of injecting your testicle and penis with silicone. Again, this is not just a practice done behind closed door. These men go to work. These men take the subway and they show off these gigantic genitalia through their clothes and it draws visual attention. How can we be protected from having to see this? And the, the man on the left is responsible from, for the death of the men on the very far right who died from some form of embolism that was silicone related. Again, this is a man. This is his penis that's enlarged. And we have to deal with this. We have to see this because this is so progressive. This is so cool. So we just learned in last summer that the gay village, the name was changed without any public uh, consultation to the inclusive um, borough, basically. Le quartier inclusif. So now it's not the gay village anymore. It's the inclusive borough that we need to be referring to. And the trans flag is everywhere. Now, these are their campaigns. Everything you see is always the club life, the pornified life. Uh, so how do we get out of this? How am I doing with time, someone? Um, my question you're, is, how you're do doing we well. get out of this? Well, yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. you're doing really well awesome. for time. Yeah. Awesome. So 
how do we get out of this gender-fueled madness? Well, we speak, okay? We need to speak. Speak with your friends. Speak at your level. When some modification of vocabulary is happening around you, this is how I think you should be speaking. You should be mentioning your disagreement. You should speak from a place of sharing your malaise and your reservation because these are yours. No one can take those away from you. This is an honest place to speak from. You don't need to be so educated on the political aspect of it. You can just say, you know what? I have some reservations and this is how I think it could affect women and our rights and children. So you need to explain why you think the way you think. When you get called transphobic, refuse that, that name calling. Explain where you come from and why you think the way you think and truly what you're trying to protect. And you should name your premises. So my premises are that women are described by their bodies because we are born women and we have sex-specific rights and protection that we need based on being born females. So I'm constantly explaining where I come from so that I avoid this annoying amalgam that we constantly get put in with the religious or political right wing. Now, you should ask questions. Ask, in fact, ask more questions than you speak about your own views. Ask them questions. You try to figure out what their premises, what their beliefs are, and that's when you start to spot the inconsistencies. You need to demand that they define the terms and concepts that they are using. What is a woman? A circular definition. A woman is anyone who feels like a woman. Don't accept these bullshit definitions. Ask them to be specific. And when you're at the discussion table and you see that they cannot bring clear and accurate definitions, point that out. This is important. We can't come come to the discussion table if we don't know what we're talking about. And you need to be relentless about talking about trauma from a trauma-informed perspective. We know a lot about what predispos predisposes people uh, to adhere to this gender ideology, as well as the consequences, especially for our, our young girls. And there's always um, an adherence to sex being liberating and empowering and a, a way to fund your transition. Talk about trauma, talk about it, bring it back all the time. Trauma-informed care is the solution. And this is what the queer youth is not receiving at the moment. As feminists, truly refuse any amalgam because there are many ways to get to an idea and some pathways are cleaner and more rigorous than others. Just like someone can say, I don't believe that there's a God because of a gazillion rational reason and lack of proof. And someone can come to saying there's no God because they're mad at God because they feel disappointed. Well, I'm sorry, but those pathways are not equal in intellectual quality. Same with gender ideology. Some people are truly hateful, but we are not coming at this from a hateful place. We're coming at this from a place of protecting women and children. Bring that back all the time. Now, what else do I have for you? Uh, the major differences between feminism and queer, I'm just going to put the slide here. I don't have time to go through this, but this is what we should be working on if we weren't so busy fighting against gender ideology as feminists. Same with this. This is what our true values are. All right, I'm done. I'm going to leave you with this tiny video. You can tell me your mom's Good luck, Jim, but I'm going to carry on saying that the fuck I want. That's right. All right, so I thank you all for listening and uh, let's keep fighting. <laughs> let's not accept this mainstreamization of king culture that leaks into every aspect of society.
So we're going to go on to our next uh, talk now, and that is from Anne um, from Australia. This is a video from our recent or the WDI uh, webinar in Australia and talks on activism and good ways to challenge the gender identity industry. Would you like to introduce yourself and give us some details of your involvement in advocating for women's sex-based rights? I'm not in any way professionally or in an ongoing uh, basis involved with women's rights. I'm a lifelong feminist and I bring that with me to everything I'm doing in life, yeah. And uh, I am one of the communities, I hate that word community, but I'm one of those people that are part of the alphabet uh, soup to which uh, Kit alluded earlier, people who are being completely sidelined and are not being heard at all in relation to women's sex-based rights. So that has sort of woken me from my slumbers and dragged me out of my cave to seek uh, public involvement in this issue. What made you first realise that transgenderism is a threat to women's rights? Well, I'd always in a sense realised that due to the work of groundbreaking feminists back in the 1990s, uh, people like Sheila Jeffries springs to mind, as does Julie Bindle. So I sort of had a, an appreciation of um, the misogyny and the extreme stereotyping that was frequently involved in all the dialogues around that issue. So, and I'd also read that wonderful groundbreaking work by Janice Raymond, written in 1979, all those years ago, the transsexual empire. So I have absolutely no excuse for not being aware of this subject. But what happened was, I thought it was something very fringe and very arcane. In fact, I wondered why my sisters were spending so much time on what appeared to be, you know, uh, such, a, such a very minor subject. And uh, what really, really made me sit up and notice was when I began to read in the press that governments across the world were beginning to bring in this absolutely bizarre notion of um, gender self-ID, that it could be written into law that men or women could simply proclaim themselves to be the opposite sex and get that recognised in law. Well, all sorts of alarm bells just started to ring very loudly at that point. But even then, I didn't see it. I still thought, oh, only a couple of places are going to be mad enough to do that. So we can see here why it's difficult for the general public to get an appreciation of the scope and the gravity of this issue and how multi-headed a hydra it indeed is. So. I, I didn't peak once. I've been ascending higher peaks the more I find about this particular subject. Can you tell us about the opposition that you've met and how this has impacted you? I think I've probably had very similar experiences to anyone that sort of takes this subject on. Any political criticism at all that is mounted of initially the LGB lobby, and then as that lobby began to accumulate more and more alphabets on it, the TQ and all the pluses, it has successfully positioned itself as 
a wonderful civil rights movement that no one in their right mind could possibly have any objections to. Well, I think the audience of this program has plenty of objections to what is being said and done in the name of trans activism. To answer your question, I'd like to make the point that even much earlier than when trans activism more or less took over uh, that particular subject, um, it was still really, really difficult politically to criticise that particular group. If, for example, you were not particularly enamoured of um, some of the things that were displayed in, for example, Sydney Mardi Gras, I'm thinking here back in the 90s, when LGB was basically being used to mainstream the notion of sadomasochism. And I was absolutely appalled at the time by that for what I hope are obvious reasons. And when I brought it up with people, the women who considered themselves to be feminists, you know, I got such negative reactions and all sorts of people just said, oh no, I was absolutely terrible and how could I possibly say that? And I felt as though I'd gone down some weird rabbit hole like Alice in Wonderland or to be more uh, accurate, perhaps I'd gone through the looking glass and everything was asked about. So you can expect to um, lose friends. You can expect to be told that you're crazy. You can expect to be told that you're right wing. So I guess what I'm getting at here is this has been going on for a long, long time, not just recently when the T and the Q plus were sort of added in. I guess that's the way it's affected me. You sort of couldn't take me anywhere. I'd arc up about the subject. And uh, I found that what happened is I became very estranged from having anything really much to do with um, matters gay because I was so deeply disappointed and disgusted with um, that whole dialogue as it was at the time and very, very heavily promoted in the gay press and just this big sacred cow that you weren't allowed to criticise. It was absolutely bizarre. And that at the time was a mere storm in a teacup. That was just confined really um, to the gay world. And now it's gone metastatic and it's absolutely blooming everywhere. Um, is there an area of activity where you focus your efforts to resist gender identity and where has that taken you? Uh, most definitely. Following on from my previous remarks, I have a monumental bee in my bonnet about the way in which LGB plus the alphabet soup has been diverted into a full spectrum attack upon women and girls' rights everywhere. And so help me, also increasingly as a stalking horse for the sexualization of children. It absolutely appalls me to have to say that, but it is so much a part now of this particular narrative that you can have gay children, that children can know when they're three or four that they're truly, truly somehow transgender. This is absolutely appalling. And it's coming in under the auspices of LGB. Well, this L says, absolutely not in my name, yeah? Uh, before I go any further, I'd just like to give a very deep and sincere thank you to other straight feminists, other straight sisters, other straight women 
who have defended lesbians who at the present moment are under dreadful attack. As you noted in my bio, I determined that I was gay when I was a, a teenager up in North Queensland in the 1970s. And it simply didn't occur to me that there could be any more in Australia. The thought didn't enter my head. I thought there might be some in New York. And when I grew up and left home, I could save up and I could go there. Now, I think it was about two years ago, the Queensland government, I can't think what body that it was under, but this was an official Queensland government initiative. They had something, I think it was a lesbian day of visibility or maybe a lesbian week of visibility. Now, the spokesperson for that particular piece of propaganda was a biological male. This is the very, very measure of our degradation and our erasure. And I would just like to say that uh, I believe that first and foremost, lesbians belong to the sex class women. And there is no legitimate demand that any lesbian could make of society that would harm the interests of other women and vice versa. But the view of female sexuality that's promoted under the auspices of queer and you know gender transformation and all sorts of other things is something that is intensely harmful to women at the moment. So how in heaven's name, in the name of progressive politics, did we get from there, there might be some in New York, to here? Oh, it's all terribly accepted, but it's actually about men. I mean, the mind simply boggles, okay? I'll get back to, I diverted to thank my straight sisters and to explain why I thought lesbians politically, our interests absolutely align with those of all other women. You know, not with anything that the men happen to be doing. Uh, some men are very good on this subject, but unfortunately, alas, many are not. So our interests lie with women. And I call upon all my fellow lesbians to absolutely recommit to affiliation and political cooperation with all our wonderful straight sisters and our wonderful mums out there that are spearheading opposition to transgender ideology at the moment. We have to join hands with them, yeah? So I believe that lesbians almost have an obligation to speak up for all women against what is being said and done in our name, even if we ourselves had absolutely nothing to do with it. You will note that earlier I said that LGB had been diverted rather than hijacked by all the TQ+. I say this because LGB has always had a certain amount of housekeeping of its own to do. And the rainbow flag has been an accident waiting to happen culturally because of its association with consumerism 
and generally libertarian unbridled behavior. It started out as a demand for legitimate human rights for gay people, for homosexuality to be decriminalized, for violence against us, both the men and the women, to be taken seriously, for young gay people to be left to their own devices to grow up without persecution. That was what the gay movement originally started out as. And as time went on, a whole lot of other associations began to be added to it. So what this led to, I believe, was generally on the part of the public, a lot of support for gay rights that perhaps wasn't really support. What do I mean by that? I call it perv by proxy. Pretty well anyone can take a literal or metaphorical walk on the wild side in the rainbow tourist destination. They can vomit and litter and worse in the main drag and then clear out, leaving the ratepayers to clean up the mess and pick up the tab. So I'm trying to divorce the concept of LGB rights as civil rights from all the accretions of um, excessive behaviour, of consumerism, of um, mindless promiscuity and things like that, that have kind of accreted to it. And I would like to give encouragement to other people, especially to feminists, to not feel afraid that there is something anti-gay about criticising those negative aspects that have come into the movement and which have now been completely and utterly taken over by T and Q and various other forms of fetish. Okay. Uh, so, I'm going to read out here. LGB has always been a sitting duck for appropriation by perv because there was never any real profound objection to perv on the part, unfortunately, of many of the men who see unbridled access to all and any hold as their birthright, supported then as now by their admiring ladies auxiliary, both straight and lesbian. So I am a grown up and I want the rainbow, the rainbow given back to children, as well as the mermaids and the unicorns. I believe that its LGB use was always juvenile and dubious. And regarding all matters LGB, we need a few grown ups in the room. So what I shall do now is read out something that I took off the internet that was written by a gay man. And I read this out to you to give you a perspective from a gay man who is basically saying something very similar to me to illustrate that this gay people in general are not necessarily inherently all for the sort of brainless libertarianism that is 
popularly associated with LGBTQ+. This man made me aware of the sexualization of gay children because he got on the internet and he was very keen to say that there is no such thing as a gay child. And it just sort of hit me. I thought, of course, there's no such thing as a gay child. There are gay teenagers because that is when you become a mature sexual being and begin to think about these things. So we have a whole narrative about, you know, gay children, trans children. It's appalling. This is what John has to say. Remind me, Janet, if I'm running out of time, please. Um, I'm afraid that was always where pride was going to end up. It could never have been about inalienable rights for long. Why are some people surprised that a movement about pride inherently attracts narcissists, fetishists, perverts and creeps when it is precisely that environment that allows them to publicly express their pride at being as effed up as they are. Every opportunity is a chance for them to push society's limits and boundaries that little bit more. The trans garbage, I'm quoting, was inevitable. Yet, when you raise the point with some same-sex attracted people who claim never to have had anything to do with it, they will rush in to defend it and cry homophobia. Are people really so blind as to how indoctrinated they are by this shite? Maddening. You would think that its enablers would realise what they've done and contributed to by now, but no. So this man feels as frustrated as I do. In the meantime, he continues, Actual gay people who simply want to have normal lives are still being persecuted in backwards societies. I guess they need pride, right? Oh wait, silly me. Pride and the rainbow flag ideology are what extremist governments conflate gay people with, especially when they talk of the harm it does to children. Can you effing blame them? I can't. Thank you, John. What are the next steps for you, Anne? And do you have any suggestions for the attendees? The first suggestion that I would have for the attendees is that our immediate political problem is to halt or reverse gender self-ID in whatever country and in whatever stage it has gotten to, because this is the primary instrument of the destruction of women and girls' rights. So that's the big one, the absolute number one. I think everything else comes second to that. And it is very much a tactic for women in each country to consider what measures they need to take or be forced to take to bring that about. Now, that leads me to the next point that uh, just talk to this meeting in very general terms about a couple of things that um, 
left-wing women tend to trip up on a little bit in the current climate in which we find ourselves because we just simply can't get heard anywhere we can't get published anywhere we lose our bank accounts for goodness sake and then if we appear in the daily telegraph or the daily mail or something up goes the cry of oh you're right wing you're somehow in league with the political right and i do feel that there is a tendency amongst people on the left to get perhaps a little bit on the wrong foot about this to kind of retreat and say oh god what can we say about that well this is what i reckon first of all look who's doing the talking look at who's flinging the accusation about i think that nine times out of ten you will find that it is the pseudo left from liberal progressives to most of unfortunately the social the socialist groups. These people have lost all moral legitimacy to call us anything whatsoever, when they are the ones clamouring all over every form of media, both traditional and social, for us to simply shut up. So, the thing that we would have to worry about is are we in fact being drawn into being well not quite being right-wing but in somehow facilitating right-wing agendas by appearing with groups to speak or to put our point of view across where we may not really agree with them about very much else particularly i don't think this is anything to get defensive about really or go on the back foot the main thing is that we preserve the integrity of our feminist message and we don't water our message down to pander to the prejudices of or to gain approval from those groups that we're addressing and i think if we do it like that we're doing a good thing and it is something that each individual woman and group will have to make their own choice from their own personal discretion as to how they think it will pan out. But accusations that are wildly flung at us don't give them the time of day. End of. If a woman who is sweet reason personified, and I'm thinking here of Helen Joyce, can be called on social media all sorts of nazi with little clips and snips out of something she said taken completely out of context i don't think we really need to worry about what we're called because we're going to be called it anyway and let's please not call one another that if perhaps at times we disagree how do we talk to the non-converted I think that um, left-wing people, and this can happen to anybody, <coughs> pardon me, including radical feminists, we get a little bit in our own echo chamber. And what we have to do, and this fits in with what I said earlier about talking in whatever venue to whomsoever will listen, we have to talk to the non-converted. 
And here's a couple of ways that we can do it. In Australian English, we have a marvellous vernacular that leads its, lends itself beautifully to straight talking and to humour. Let's use it. Let's avoid jargon. Let's present our ideas in a format that our audience can understand and which makes them think. I'll give a little example here. Up my way, Queensland, I often, especially in the past, used to have people say to me, oh, Aboriginals, oh, they get this and they get that. They get this special program, they get this special handout. And these are often people that don't have much themselves and they're feeling a little bit put out. You're going to get nowhere if you hop up and down and yell racist at people like that. What I'm fond of saying to them is, here, I've got a magic wand. I'm going to wave that magic wand and I'm going to turn you into one. You can be a black right now and you too can enjoy all the special privileges that they have. Now, what do you reckon? You're going to take me up on it? And you would be surprised at the thoughtful looks that actually come over people's faces when the idea of them being racist is presented to them in a completely different way. I'll give another example here with the environment. Greens, sadly, and matters green seem to have gotten in the culture wars, particularly here in Australia, all sorts of a bad name. People just draw the shutters down when you talk about the environment, you want to talk about sustainability. Here's another way to go about it. There is nothing radical about environmentalism in some ways. It's as conservative as it gets. Waste not, want not. Who doesn't understand that? Take that as your departure, your point of departure, to talk about environmentalism and to talk about how monumentally wasteful our current system is. And then I'm fond of saying to people, if we destroy the glories of creation and there's nothing left, what is there left for those that come after us? What is there left for the next generation? And then you start dragging jobs into it. Where are the jobs of the future for our children if we find that we can no longer be wasteful of the world's resources? I haven't mentioned a single ism, I haven't mentioned greens, I haven't mentioned sustainability, I haven't mentioned a single buzzword that's going to set people off. So I just thought I'd do this a bit, you know, all my mob, I know a lot of Hansonites, let's just put it this way, I do. I come from a working class background, excellent people in many ways, in many ways very right wing but they'd also give you the shirt off their back. So let's get a little bit outside our sometimes prejudiced echo chambers and take the word out there to the people. Trust in the decency and common sense of ordinary people and do prepare to be quite often pleasantly surprised. Great, well, we're going to now get uh, women from uh, to, uh, a couple of different women to come on. We've got Kerry Bruce and um, 
Zan Dalio and April Morrow. I'm going to start with Zan, even though you haven't been there live, but just because uh, you you picked a couple of the clips and then let's just chat. We'll chat amongst ourselves. So I think a lot of women in the uh, webinar have been watching these or been going to them. So we can just recap what's been going on and what we think has been happening. So I was in L.A. and um, and then I decided to just um show up as much as I can. And I've been able to, because of the time zone stuff, been able to go to the rest of them. And um, the thing that struck me um, the most was the difference between, and Kelly J has uh, addressed this, and um, in, the, in the Chicago uh, event, I'll call it an event, um it was it was pretty violent and um and violent in the way that the activists the trans activists were <clears throat> kessling in and and really being physically really close in the fact and shouting and making incredible noise that is was actually pretty damaging um to one's ears if one didn't have something to protect them and that the police did not do anything and um, Kelly J uh, addressed this, and some of the some of the women from the UK in the live chat said, "Why is this going on?" You know, and I think that's an interesting um, question to ask about American society, which we can't get into here. And then to compare that to um, to what happened in Loudoun, which it was a completely completely different scenario and we can watch clips if we want to watch them to see see the differences in these two events um and then also just to add that amy souza also known as known heretic is also streaming and i watch both streams and commenting and she made some really interesting comments analyses about the differences in the two events and the strategies that the two events were uh, that, that 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 were used in the two events. One was make the in Chicago make the event public so that um, everyone can attend who wants to attend. And of course, the trans activists were there. Whereas in Loudoun, apparently, um, and I wasn't in on it. it the 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 location wasn't made so public. Um, it was at in the in the garden or the in the on the grass by the administrative building, and there were no activists. And you could hear, you could hear the activists. So Kelly J was saying, "Look, you know, in the United States, you have the right to free speech, but you don't have the right to be heard." And I thought that was brilliant. And I'll leave it there. Let's go to April now. Um, April, it's horrific that you, you've you been injured. You were injured in one of these uh, meetings. And so uh, everybody's heard about it and hoping you're getting better. In the very beginning of this event, we had decided to hold it in Tacoma at the Tolson Plaza. And we have held events there before through Sovereign Women Speak. And it's a really great place. We've never had any problems before. And what happened was immediately, um, I, let's see, how can I move this forward? Here we go. I get this instant message, private message on Facebook from a man, Brent Tolson. 
and it's the same last name. And so I look it up and find out that he's somehow, couldn't figure out how, but he was related to the former mayor. So he he reaches out to me and says, um, we have food trucks there that day, um, please go somewhere else basically. I'm, and so I email him back and said, <clears throat> or text him back, whatever. I said, um, great, we're glad there's food trucks because there'll be more people. Um, and anyway, he was trying to get us not to hold it there. And obviously come to find out later, uh, the reason why is because he has a daughter who is claiming to be a boy and his whole entire family are TRAs. So he was trying very difficult, very hard to uh, make it difficult for us to be there, but we ended up there anyways. Um, then the next thing that happened was the school put out this notice to the students to <clears throat> avoid but yet by doing this, what they were doing is announcing what was taking place. So we're not really sure if the school was actually really trying to protect their students or if they were trying to create chaos. Um, they're also misinforming the public because they're calling this a sovereign women speak protest and it was not, this was a let women speak. So that this day where you see this, uh, this plaza here, when we first got there, we, I'm gonna play this for you. There were very few of the TRAs and some of the students and teachers up on top and this is what it looked like. Okay, you see the man in the purple there as he's telling the kids to uh, the kids and adults to come down. He, the man in the purple, he's waving them to come down. So. At first, they were all up on top, things were cool, <laughs> and then they get waved to come down, and the next thing you know, they're just descending down upon us, one tier after another. They get down to the bottom, they tear out all of our signs, they're stomping all over them, they're picking up the stakes and running around like a crazy people, unhinged, like they're going to stab us with them. Um, the next thing that happened was, and there was many more, this doesn't show how many there were, a lot more came, all it took was for the students to text what was going on and more and more came from the school and showed up. And the next thing you know is they are all, they start descending down upon us. And because they're all down and circled us now, we're like in the middle of this big mob. So Posey's hitting the mic, seeing the danger and makes the announcement. So what she's um, telling them is that things are getting too dangerous and that we need to leave. And so that's basically what took place. Um, the women started to try to exit the park and as after she made this announcement and women started to go, what happens is, okay, here you go, here we go. So you see this, they, they come down, they're coming down off of the, um, the tiers and they're encircling us. And I was so thankful that one of our women were, was up on the top and she was videoing this and she actually catches right on video here where I've got about four or five guys surrounding me. I'm being attacked by about four or five different men and I am trying to get 
over to Melinda, this uh, tall woman here in the blue, um, because I am, I'm feeling very vulnerable and surrounded by these people. And as I try to make it over to her, about four or five guys attack me and are trying to you know, grab my, my equipment. And I end up getting pushed down. So you can't see me anymore there. I'm pushed down to the ground and you can see them. They, they, these two men right here that are leaving, they're running here. She got it all on video. They are the ones who broke my hand and stole my journaling equipment and the cops caught them right away. And they, um, they put the one man in jail and I am, they're going to be prosecuting them. Um, I have gone to the school board meeting and we all went there and spoke and you can, it's so obvious that the whole entire school, I feel like we're just wasting our time because you can tell they're just all on their side. And, but we of course have to do this for record, but, um, but anyway, what I am doing, what I'm attempting to do is I'm attempting to school the Tacoma uh, art school um, because there were teachers, the principal was there. This was all condoned and even encouraged by um, adults. So, it was, it was pretty, I'm going to tell you, it was pretty scary. I wasn't afraid in the beginning um, when I first got there, but after about a half an hour and being surrounded, that was a lot of adrenaline, a lot of cortisol. And that was my first time I've ever been, you know, that close to that much violence and uh, having my hand crushed was infuriating because I feel like I feel like they should be really punished for this and I don't feel like they're going to be and all it's done is put me out of work and you know it'd be different if the left would put this on their media but no one's really even seeing this but us and so I my question is is how is this really benefiting us Yesterday, I was driving um, back from Olympia at the Capitol where we're going to be holding our next speaker's corner. And I stopped by Tacoma and they were having a meet and greet with the Tacoma police officers and have coffee with them. And I went straight to the chief of police and asked to speak with him. And we went to the side and he admitted that there were police officers there that were witnessing this. And, and I said, well, I thanked him. I said, thanks, that helps my case to know that there were officers, not just parents and teachers and a principal there condoning and encouraging this, but there were actually police officers there. We had called the police so many times and they did not come. And they were told that women were being assaulted. So now I'm told that there's police officers there watching me being assaulted and no one stepped in to intervene. We have no protection, women. It's really scary. I mean, here in Washington, I know it's that Portland's really bad too, but Washington is really, uh, really, really bad. I wanted to comment on one thing. Uh, in the introduction, Zan said that it appeared that there wasn't, that police would not intervene in Chicago. And I would like to say that um, they did intervene in a great number of um, situations. They uh, did not cut down on the noise pollution, um, and I'll get into that in a minute, but 
we are private security. We're four off-duty Chicago police uh, officers. Um, they were wonderful. They helped us define our area. They created a boundary. They were literally like working like doormen um, to get into our inner circle where we end up. Initially, when we were first being kettled, um, uh, the bike police used their bikes in a row to physically create a barrier space. And um, yeah, so they, I've, I also saw officers uh, remove certain noisemakers from some individuals after a time um, when, when their behavior warranted it. Uh, well, <laughs> I suppose that's subjective, but um, so I, I think they really did intervene. And I think uh, the no on the noise pollution thing, we, we investigated, you know, getting petitions for um, our gathering. And it's in Chicago, if you, you can gather in any space you want, you know, they're really good about public assembly. But if you want to have amplification, you need to be permitted for certain levels of amplification. I think ours would have qualified. Um, that would have been upward of $2,500 in, in the city of Chicago, uh, something we could not afford. Uh, so we did not, we were not permitted for our amplification at our assembly. I, I, my personal feeling is that's why the officers did not cut down on the noise pollution from our opponents. Um, I think they opted to be neutral in that regard. They could have cited all of us and, their, and shut down our assembly. And instead they just focused on our physical safety. And I'm really appreciative of that. I think my viewpoint is uh, not a it is sort of informed sort of by an out an outsider's an outsider's sort of incomprehension of um how you know how things function here um uh, kelly j has been trying to collect the support money for armed security guards because there have been serious threats um and she's been very clear about them um, costing, I guess it was in Miami, about $1,000 for one. one. Um, so the issue that I was, the way that I see it is just from that standpoint of those folks, the women who were just, I think they're primarily from the UK, just in awe of um, this this inability to express one's First Amendment right, even though in the compared with the UK, which has no actual first amendment. And um, and so, yeah, that's where I was coming from it. I'm generally very critical of the United States. I'm, you know, I have American passport, I have a European passport. I've lived in both places. Um, and and so I, I, I generally, 
take a more critical standpoint about what's going on in the United States general um, politically um, and socially than perhaps, um, you know, other Americans do. So, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Okay, let's go to April. The prognosis on my hand is that the bones below the two middle fingers are fractured um, and that there's a lot of tissue damage. Remember that this hand was already damaged from a pressure washer injury of like three or four months prior to this and that it had not even healed yet. And so, um, you know, it didn't take much to, to re-damage re it. Um, so I will be out of work. I don't know how long she said the bone, the bones will heal faster than the tissue damage. Um, I can still follow in dance so I can teach guys, but leading women, I need my left. <laughs> the funny thing is I, that is what I use to lead women. I use my two middle fingers to pull her forward in swing dance. And that's what I cannot do. And I've had to let down, you know, students and it's really, really um, unfortunate and it's really impacting, you know, my ability to to teach. Um, but good news is it is going to get better and it's just going to take some time. There's a strategy and I'm glad we're having these discussions as a movement because if you just want to, if your objective is just to be heard, then a quiet park setting with just, you know, at an unannounced location is, is an option. But if you're also trying to show and demonstrate how we do not have free speech rights and how much violence is being inflicted on us and harassment, um, then you want to have a public event. You know, we, you need to talk about that. You need to know, um, know your people. I mean, I think that's all part of organizing is, I think that was one reason why Chicago came off in all that onslaught was because there were predominantly seasoned activists there that knew how to gray rock. They did not engage. They just focused on the, on the speakers and each other. And I think um, Jeanette Cooper was great with lightening the tone with her silliness and jokes. And um, we did not feel afraid. I'm sure. I'm sure Kelly J did, but. Many of us did not, were not concerned. We were enjoying ourselves. We were, you know, dancing along with the beat and the music and setting that kind of a tone, I think, um, helps settle women down and keep them focused.